Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered. Sure Top Roofing presents the Carolina Contractor with your host, Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you by GAF Roofing, shingles and materials. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply and Garner, a roofing supplier with a different approach. And look at that. They let us back on the air. It is the Carolina Contractor Show. How you doing? I'm Eric Smith. And with us from SureTop Roofing, with a G on the end, it's Donnie Blanchard. How you doing, Donnie? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back today. For those of you listening on a quadraphonic blowpunk, Donnie is over to my right across the table. You know the reference? I do. I think that's Bull Durham, right? Bull Durham. You don't need a quadraphonic blowpunk. What you need is a curveball. All right. If you want to check out details on the show, go to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. Last week, we talked about a subject that on the surface seemed kind of boring, but it wasn't. Concrete. Mm. I learned so much about concrete from that last show, and you can too. Details at the website. Also, the pros and cons of stairs in the home. I found out I'm losing a little bit of weight, like seven cows a day, because (laughs) I have a flight of stairs in my house. Wow, that much. Today's subject, it's about safety. I think of Mike Rowe and Dirty Jobs. You remember that show? I do. Yes, sir. He'd be at a job site, and they'd say, safety's first, and he'd go, top three. But actually, safety is a very important thing. And it's really important at your house, and Donnie and I were talking off air, that when you're at your house, you tend to disregard basic safety protocols because you're just going to do a quick job, whether it be mowing or moving something or using a ladder. Mm -hmm. And the example I gave him was I put a wire system on my gate at my house. So Mm -hmm. I had a gate that was sagging, and you can buy this wire system. It has a little buckle that you turn, and it lifts up the sag of the gate. Well, I wanted to drill in the bracing for it so I didn't split the wood by nailing it. Got the drill, start going in, and the drill bit snapped Mm -hmm. and hit me next to my eye. Missed hitting my eye by a tenth of an inch. I didn't have any safety glasses or goggles because I was doing a quick little fix-it project at the house. And again, skipping that safety measure of putting on goggles could have resulted in me having a trip to the doctor or worse. One thing that comes to mind on my end is we do these things comparable to what they do on a commercial job site where they have toolbox talks. And so I kind of transitioned that over to a residential in-house version where I preach to my kids on things that should be common sense to us. But, you know, as a kid, you've probably never gone through that. So I think it's important to emphasize a few things. For instance, this past week, uh, not that we had a preventative talk about it, but I come home and my son is vacuuming out his truck and he's got the engine running. Well, he's in the garage with the garage door open, which is probably okay. But he didn't realize that, you know, the carbon monoxide could basically kill you. And uh, I had to remind him that you have to pull your truck at least a foot or two outside of the garage to make this safe and preferably not run your engine in there. But, you know, it's just one of those things that you always have to be on the lookout for. And until it happened, I never thought to warn him of such a thing. So Mm -hmm. people don't think about it when you're warming up your car in the winter, open the garage door a foot or two. That's Mm -hmm. not enough. Not enough. You can cause, and what did you give the example of that also, opening Uh, the door? Say if you have an eight-foot ceiling in-house and then you've got the door to the garage. Well, normally the garage is going to be a few steps down and maybe a 12 or 13-foot tall ceiling. Mm -hmm. Well, that carbon monoxide is going to accumulate in the top of the garage. So when you open up a door to the garage that's six foot, eight inches tall, 
and it's going to pretty much pull the carbon monoxide fumes directly into the house. And I don't know exactly how many points, but I believe in the green building point evaluation, they give you points for having a detached garage because they put so much emphasis on not having carbon monoxide potentially enter your home. Exactly. So there's safety tip number one, don't warm up your car or leave your car in a garage even when it's open right? because it's not going to vent correctly. Let's start off this list. We've got of simple stuff you can do around your house to stay safe. The easiest thing is ear protection. Anytime you're using a power tool or like a power saw, a lawnmower, a nail gun, even shop vacs. Mm -hmm. I have a shop vac and it's surprising how loud they are. And there's a couple types of ear protection you can Mm -hmm. use. I prefer the in-ear plugs that usually have on a cord. There's over the ear, which Mm -hmm. I think are better for kids. Mm -hmm. This isn't something you do at the house. If it is, this is cool. But monster truck rallies and and dirt bike shows, they have the arenas. Yes, sir. You have to take ear protection. And if you've got a little kid, they can go, but give them those big over the ear Mm -hmm. protectors to help with that. Eye protection, like you mentioned, that is a big deal. And it's such a cheap thing to do. A pair of safety glasses is a buck or two. And that's something you can just use off and on and throw it back in the drawer when you're finished. But just a couple of seconds to cover your eyes and, and have some protection there. That could be the difference in having eyesight or not. And big deal there. And I think when it comes to eye protection, we only look at using power tools, saws, Mm -hmm or string trimmers. Mm -hmm. But if you're working with any glues or chemicals that can splash or splosh around, Mm -hmm. you want to have eye protection on because a couple drops of a glue or an epoxy and you've got trouble. Next thing to think about, gloves. Different jobs require different gloves. You're changing your oil or the oil or a chemical in a, a vehicle or a piece of equipment. There's special gloves for that. There's gloves to use when you're moving heavy material. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys, gloves that you use especially are for heavy material because it's roofing. That's right. And then you have gloves that resist things like oils, give you better grip. So if you're working with a chemical or you're working with something that has a a tendency to be slippery or or wet, these gloves will give you that extra grip. I think something that's probably common is... uh weed poison. So when you oh, yeah. do your, your pump sprayer and you're filling that thing up with that concentrated maybe cup of the poison and then you dilute it down with the water, that's something that could definitely cost you your eyesight. And I didn't really think about it until you just said that. Shoes, boots. We usually wear tennis shoes or this time of year, no shoes or flip-flops around the house. Do not mow your lawn <laughs> barefoot or with flip-flops, mainly with flip-flops because they're a trip hazard or a slip hazard. Yep. And you do not want to have your feet get anywhere That's near it. the mower blade. Now, there are other things for, for commercial work like you do with SureTop uh-huh. Roofing, standard work boots, probably steel toes. Yes. Well, we don't necessarily go for steel toes because they're so heavy and on a yeah, roof, true. you're not going to stump your toe. But I tell the guys to make sure that they're conscious of what their sole on their shoe looks like because a common thing we run to, into on a job site is, say you have a new construction job site where you're installing the shingles and they put toe boards so they can actually finish the roof and it's safer for everyone. Well, as we put the shingles from bottom to top, we remove those those toe boards and the guys just throw them down. Well, I make a big deal about this because we might not be the only folks working on that job site. And if you throw that toe board down, it's not a comfortable place on a roof to bang all the nails down mm. flat or to remove them. So I, I have my ground guy either remove all the toe boards as they come off or at least flip the nails upside down. So if I come on the job and I see something like that, which is rare, but it does happen, uh, you know, I've taken just a minute to flip that over and not have the exposed nails out is, is a big help. 
Uh, shorts versus long pants. Again, you're mowing the lawn or doing yard work this time of year. You tend to wear shorts. Anything that can have a projectile to it is a reason to wear long pants. So mowing the lawn, lawn weed eating. If you're also, again, back to working with some sort of chemical or glue or epoxy, shorts mean your skin's exposed and there's a good chance you brush up against it. Just recently in the news was a lady in South Dakota. Her husband was mowing the lawn. She walked out near him, not too close, just to pick up some uh, yard toys and something shot from under the mower. He caught debris, hit her in the neck. She ended up mm. getting, I think it was like 15 stitches in the neck, another half dozen in the shoulder. That's a great example of being aware of the area mm-hmm. you're at. If you're doing work at the home and it's something like that, don't have the family around. Mm-hmm. That kind of moves into the next subject of where your kids are. Mm-hmm. You've got to be aware of where your children are when you're working in the yard. You gave the example, you've got ear protection in Mm -hmm. and you're working with heavy equipment. Right. You can't have your kids around because you're not going to be able to hear them. And if something happened or they snuck up behind you, you're going to be completely unaware. That's right. Um, That heavy machinery tends to be really loud as well. So even if you don't have ear protection in, it's really hard to hear a little kid come up and say, hey, dad, I need you for this or that. I tell my children, stay as far away as you can, because when I back up, I don't have a backup camera, which they don't understand. that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, I said, get as far away as you can from me and then flag me down and I'll cut the machine off and we'll do what you need. But um, that's a, a big fear of mine when we're working around the house. But that's just something that it happens and you hear these horror stories. But And I have one more pet peeve about uh, lawn mowing What's I that? forgot to add. Go for it. Please do not hold your young child on your riding lawnmower. <laughs> it might be fun. It might be something. Oh, I'm just showing them what it's like to mow the lawn. Right. Tragedies have happened from people holding little kids on riding lawnmowers. Riding lawnmowers can tip over very easily. Mm-hmm. And let your, your toddler, your young kids sit in the house and watch you. There's a reason there's one seat on a riding lawnmower. It means one person on it. It's not to have passengers. Electrical work, I don't mess with it. I'll do minor electrical work, like rewire a, a ceiling fan or maybe an outlet box, but I stay away from that stuff. I feel the exact same way. That's one area that I'm probably least proficient in is electrical because I've just never had the guts to dive in and take on anything other than simple projects. You know, if a, if you try a plumbing project and you don't do it right, you get water on the floor. Or if you try a heating and air project, the worst that can happen is it doesn't work or mm-hmm. you lose heating and cooling, but electrical, there's just too much at stake to to take that chance. Never assume a breaker is off. Mm. Mark it off. Make sure it's not on. But in my opinion, ask a pro when it comes to electrical. All right. I'm going to say something here, Donnie, that a lot of men are going to hate. Read your owner's (laughs) manual. (laughs) I'm going to try to not sound like a hypocrite here. Yeah. We tend to get a tool. You get a new tool and you just want to start the puppy up and use it. Owner's manuals, they are to keep you safe. You have electric currents. You have some items that can hold an electrical charge in it uh, with a capacitor, and you can unplug it, open it up, and it can still discharge that electrical current enough to knock you off your feet or worse. So do read the owner's manual and and just try to take it slow and get that done. Storage. This is something that kind of came up at the last minute of speaking of safety measures. When you finish using power equipment, gasoline, Mm. oils, glues, chemicals. I have a pool, so we have chlorine around. We have to secure that. Make sure you secure it in a place where little kids can't get to it. Also, make sure the environment you put it in is a safe environment. Think of a um, a can of spray paint or other mm-hmm. pressurized items like, a, I guess, WD-40 or gunk or something like that. If your storage building can get up to 150 degrees in the summer because of direct sun and you keep it shut up and it, and it has no air circulation, you can cause trouble. Mm-hmm. The opposite, though, it won't explode. 
very cold weather can cause damage to certain paints and chemicals and things like that. So make sure you put them up. Heavy equipment. Do not hang the heaviest item at the highest point of your house. I like that note. That's just a common sense thing, but you don't ever really think about a strategy when you're storing your uh, saws and heavier things and so forth. But that definitely makes a lot of sense. And that sounds sort of like um, child proofing for adults. I'm guilty of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before I had kids, I would put one of my sledgehammers up high because I hung it by the head of the sledgehammer. Right. It was just easy to hang it up high. Yep. At about eight feet was where it was. And it was later on when I had kids, I'm like, hmm, they pull on that handle. And don't try to store something bulky that doesn't fit correctly on a shelf. Again, I'm confessing this in front of everybody. I uh, have a miter saw, weighs, you know, 18, 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, didn't fit correctly on the shelf. Two of the feet would hang over, but it was the easiest place for me to put it. And I looked at that one day and went, yeah, all it takes is the power cord hanging over and one of my kids pulling on it. That's it. Maybe if you've got a storage building or a garage or a shed, just walk into it, look around and see if there's anything that's on a shelf that shouldn't be up that high, that's not secure, or if you have heavy power tools or things like that, that maybe you should put lower onto the floor so you won't have an injury. I mean, again, safety first, or Mm -hmm. as Mike Rowe said, at least the top three. And one of the last things real quick on safety around your house is ladders. I I say use the buddy system, and that is you can set a ladder on a a smooth concrete driveway. It can slide wet, uneven ground. If you do need to use one, say to clean gutters, have somebody holding the base of it and look at a ladder and all the warnings up and down the length of a ladder. For sure. And you guys at SureTop live on ladders. We do. And there's actually a weight limit printed in bold on the side of each and every ladder. And some of the smaller, cheaper ladders won't hold as much as you think. And it's just really good not to exceed that weight limit. The one instance I've ever had where a ladder came out from under me, actually twice, this happened in the same circumstance. But I was on a deck too early in the morning. It was the only point I could access the roof. And I put my ladder up there, which had rubber feet. So I get on the ladder and before my torso could get above the gutter line, the ladder came out from under me and I was left hanging on to the gutter for dear life, but only about a one foot drop. I was okay. But the point is, you know, you really have to make sure that the feet of your ladder are going perpendicular to something that's fixed. And, you know, that could be the difference in a big injury or not. When we come back, could you, Donnie, talk about what safety precautions a business like SureTop Roofing has to take in consideration because yep. you have more regulations. Also, we want to do some uh, questions that listeners have sent in, and you can send your own question by going to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. More of the Carolina Contractor Show coming up next. We'll be back with more of the Carolina Contractor presented by SureTop Roofing. Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered. Welcome back to the Carolina Contractor. With your host, Donnie Blanchard, presented by SureTop Roofing. And today's subject has been about safety. We were basically talking about safety measures the average homeowner can take. We kind of dove into some of the statistics about fatalities and injuries on job sites. Mm -hmm. And you've got some to start us off here. I do. The latest statistics that I did look up were from OSHA and organizations similar to OSHA. But they put out there that one in five worker deaths annually is in construction. So that's pretty strong that 20% of people who die in work-related incidents is in the construction industry. That's something you kind of expect, but I didn't know the number was so high. 
high. Mm-hmm. Uh, workplace fatalities that were crane-related fell to their lowest level recorded in 2017 with only 33 deaths. Now, that tells me that these safety measures that people are implementing are working. So that the, the proof is in the pudding on the stats here that they do this for a reason. This isn't just to inconvenience you and make you hook up to a harness and wear bright colored shirts. It's it's all for a reason. It's more than just fashion. That's that's it. Something I thought was neat. Uh, the fatal four is what they call this. Leading causes of private sector working fatalities in the construction industry are falls, being struck by an object, electrocution, and being caught in something between two objects. These accidents are supposedly responsible for about 60% of construction worker deaths. Another fact that I thought was interesting is that companies with 10 or fewer employees and those who are self-employed account for nearly half of all deaths in construction sites. Wow. Let that, that sink in for a minute. That's a big deal. So my guess there is that these smaller companies, they don't do the toolbox talks. They don't have safety meetings like they should. And the results are that they lose more workers than what a big company would even. I'll let you burn through some of these uh, non-fatal injuries. Yeah. These also coming from OSHA and other places, uh, one in every 10 construction workers is injured annually. Construction sees non-fatal injury rates that are 71% higher than any other industry. And then workers who are between the ages of 25 and 34 are most likely to be injured while working in construction. But that does make sense because it is a younger man's job. I guess so. I would think it would be more like 18-ish from the young guys who are just getting started in construction and you haven't been injured or been through anything like that. So you just don't know any better. And uh, And I think the older you get, that will allow you to do jobs that are a little more risky or or be licensed for. And I think that's one reason that group is a little more likely to be injured. Another thing we looked up that caught my attention were the cost of these job site injuries. Uh, One fatal injury cost an average of $991,000 in hospital cost. So a million dollars if someone dies on your job site, Mm. that's pretty strong. The one that hit home with me was that the construction industry sees 71% higher spending on workers' compensation than all goods producing industries combined. Personally speaking, we pay $40 on every one for workers' comp. And that $40 on every 100 is just part of it. We still have to pay general liability on top of that and a few other costs that are associated with our overhead. But uh, for every $100 I pay a guy, I have to pay $40 to match that in workers' comp. Mm. So I wanted to make it a point to tell how much we pay in workers' comp because oftentimes folks say, well, hey, I got a quote from such and such who is $1,000 less than you. And when I look at the makeup of their company, there are folks who we compete with that don't pay those same workers' comp. I, I tell folks all the time, ask the owner of the company himself, is he insured only or does this apply to his workers as well? And that's probably not something he'll answer honestly if he's not on the up and up, but you can actually call the insurance company on their certificate and they should give you an honest answer on that. But that's definitely something we're checking for because usually the owner is not the one up there doing the work. Mm-hmm. One thing this comes back around to is safety, whether it's at home or at the job site, saves lives. And there was one thing I thought was fascinating related to the final four, Donnie, and that was if you could eliminate the fatal four causes of construction accidents, that would save 582 workers' lives in the United States every single year. And that's an OSHA fact right there. Safety is super important. It's really important at your house because we don't think about using safety at our house. But when you have a business like Donnie and Suretop Roofing, they find themselves out at construction sites. The right. law requires it, but you see enough of it firsthand, I'm sure, that it always is brought home. Safety is a very, very important thing. For sure. We have these facts up on the website? We do. Yes, sir. I'll right. post them today. TheCarolinaContractor.com is where you can go to learn more about safety tips for your house and also some of those facts we cited from OSHA and the labor department. But now it's time for the favorite part of the show. We've got questions from listeners. 
who also went to the carolinacontractor.com, clicked on a little button, submit your question. Donnie tries to check all of them and respond to them. And sometimes they'll show up at your house. Usually that's planned. It's not unannounced. Oh, no, not it's unannounced. Nothing, yeah. It's nothing creepy. No, <laughs> we'll set up a meeting. And uh, normally we try to go by and take a look at whatever the question pertains to. Sometimes sight unseen, we can answer these questions, but most of the time we have to lay eyes on it. So the first question today is, our duct work in the crawl space is sagging in a few areas. Any ideas why? Yeah, I had to get dirty on this one. So I, I did the military crawl under the house and uh, <laughs> they were seeing this through a crawl space vent. They could see that the ductwork was sagging in two different areas. When I got under there, the first thing I looked for was whether or not the insulation around the ductwork had been compromised. And I expected to see that the insulation had been split open and uh, maybe some moisture got in there and it accumulated over a while, but everything was intact. I couldn't figure out exactly how the water got in there without a little further investigation, but there was definitely water being held within the walls of the insulation. And basically um, between two support points where the ductwork went through the floor and then it had a strap hanging it from a floor joist, it was about a 12 foot span. That water accumulated in there and at about the six foot mark is where it started to sag. So I traced it back to the boot that actually went up through the floor. And what happened there is that the insulation ever so slightly came down off of the boot, which is a galvanized metal. That boot pushing out the cool air into the house with the warm air underneath the house did something similar to what we talked about last week with the windows fogging up mm-hmm. after a rainy day. Right. Um, and so the condensation formed on the metal boot and that condensation didn't drip on the ground. It dripped down in the insulation. Well, eventually the insulation was saturated. That water found its way to the lowest midpoint there and it started to sag. So the culprit was actually that the insulation was not fastened properly up around the roof boot. So if you go in your crawl space and you can see a shiny silver metal there, uh, that's not supposed to be that way. And had that been insulated, the condensation would have never happened there. Well, these particular folks asked me what they could do uh, to prevent this from ever happening. And of course, we lined them up with an HVAC contractor who came out. He ran a few new trunk lines and eliminated that, fastened it like it was. But we're actually going to do a conditioned crawl space for these folks and they'll never have to worry about that sort of thing again. Awesome. Question number two submitted to the Carolina contractor. We have an older home and our bills are through the roof. What can we do? I'm going to try not to make this too lengthy, but um, they do something called an energy audit. And we don't do the energy audits because that's just not something we're set up for. But um, we recommend a couple of guys who do a wonderful job. And, And one of the main things they do is what's called a blower door test. During a blower door test, you close off all the supply lines. So all of your registers will be taped over and closed off. They open your front door or a door to the exterior. And basically, they put a frame in there that is closed by what is like a tent material. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bottom portion of that has a big elastic circle where a huge fan goes in there. And what happens is they put that fan on, kick the fan up to a certain CFM, and it basically depressurizes the house. So what it shows you is where all the air entry is. So you can put your hand up by a switch or an outlet and feel a breeze on your hand coming out of your plugs in the wall. And Mm. um, so it's pulling air from outside, but not where it's supposed to be coming from. So it tells the tale for sure. You can have a thermal imaging camera that will tell you even more during that process. But I rely on those energy audit guys to kind of hold my hand through that. Starting from the top down, what you can do to retrofit this place is something that we talked about in a previous show, but I'll say it again. It's called radiant barrier. So it's basically like a tin foil with a fiber woven into it. It's a lot stronger than tin foil. It's just a good analogy. They put that on the bottom side of the rafters and basically it traps the heat that is penetrating from the roof into the attic space and it traps that heat and channels it up to the ridge vent. That makes a big difference in your attic to the tune of it as much as 10 to 15 degrees. We talked about sealing the top plate. In my mind, the top plate is a framing member, but for energy folks, the top plate is the uppermost ceiling in your house. 
a lot of times you can seal the penetrations from the inside if it's easier. So you don't want to walk out off of a decked portion in your attic necessarily, but say you have a ceiling fan or a chandelier hanging, usually there's a bracket that will cover that penetration up. If it's just a matter of loosening that bracket and spraying some great stuff, spray foam in there, that that will usually remedy that problem. And I recommend doing as much as you can from the inside the house rather than the attic. Mm -hmm. Once that's done, you want to call an insulation contractor and blow insulation in there. The new code is R38, which is about 14, 15 inches. Um, Normally, if you go up there and you have six inches, eight inches of insulation, that's not enough to meet the current code. And insulation is cheap, especially the blown in version. So that's something that you'll see a payoff from immediately. Change or retrofit your pull-down stairs. I have Mm -hmm. a pull-down stairs in my home, and we built it about nine years ago, but it actually has an inch-and-a-half thick door, which is a standard solid core door thickness. It's I don't remember the R value, but uh, basically between the inch-and-a-half door, the weather stripping on the inside, it's uh, just about as much of an R value as an average wall, and that makes a big difference because your pull-downs are often the biggest culprit in heat loss or heat gain. Foaming behind window casings and sealing behind wall plates. It's a little more extensive here, and if you don't have any carpentry experience, I wouldn't recommend doing this yourself, but you can actually pop the sides and the top window casing off and do the low expansion spray foam. I believe it's got a light green top from Lowe's there, and um, the low expansion spray foam will fill all the voids around a window, and you just can't see that those voids are there until you open it up. Floor insulation and a vapor barrier are the two main things you can do in your crawl space. Uh, The code now is R19, so I would check your floor insulation. A lot of times when you go in there, because the paper always goes towards the heated space, which is up, you can't tell what the R value is. But if you'll pull a piece of that insulation down, it should have a piece of paper backing that will have the R value on that. And if it's not 19, I would recommend replacing that with 19. And the only thing I have to recommend as far as the vapor barrier is a six mil plastic is the minimum. If you can contact an insulation supply company, normally they have access to 10 or 12 mil and the cost is just minor. So I would recommend putting as thick of a plastic as you can get under there because if someone crawls over top of it or mm-hmm. you know it's easier to damage, the thicker is just not much more money, but it's a lot better results. The CarolinaContractor.com is the website to submit your question. We got time for one more. We are going to re-roof our church in the fall. The steeple needs painting prior to the roof install. How do we go about that? Well, we've done this before a couple of years ago, and I actually posted a video of it on our SureTop Roofing Facebook page. But um, a really interesting process, if the steeple is fiberglass, which most of them are these days, normally it's in two pieces. You'll have the base that fits over the ridge of the roof, and then you'll have the steeple itself that connects to the base. The way to do this is to detach one at a time. We hired someone who is a crane operator. Another word is a boom truck guy, and basically the same type setup you would need for setting trusses on a house is all you need. It it doesn't require a big, extensive commercial crane, but he attached his straps to the upper most portion of the steeple and uh, attached the straps before we unbolted it. In fact, we unbolted the uppermost and basically guided it off and he dropped that down to the ground. And then we did the same exact thing with the base and it went a lot smoother than I expected. But, um, Something that these folks at this particular church did that that I hadn't seen before is once we got it on the ground, we put it on a nice flatbed trailer, strapped it down for these folks, and they actually took it to an auto body paint repair shop and, <laughs> and had it painted like a car. I'll paint any car or steeple for just $99. <laughs> I've never seen that commercial, but it made great sense. And and I just really thought that they, they did it the right way because painting it yourself is one thing and saving a hundred bucks by doing that. But if you want it to last forever, I would mm-hmm. let the pros do it. Go to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com, to submit your question for Donnie 
and SureTop Roofing. And if you need something done to your roof, you need it inspected, some work, or you just need a replacement, go to SureTopRoofing.com. That's SureTopRoofing.com. Thank you so much for joining the Carolina Contractor. We'll see you guys again next week. See you. We might even hear you. Thanks for listening to The Carolina Contractor, presented by SureTop Roofing. And tune in next Saturday as we continue to help make your home great again. Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered.